Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Royal Lines Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Polak. Nick, uh, it's a very, very weird week to be a Penn State football fan. It is, indeed. I don't I don't know when the last time they played on a Friday was. It, it hasn't been in the time that... Because you and I came into Penn State fandom at the exact same time. Oh, yeah. So Def- it, it, definitely not, not at that time. It's very much a new thing for us. Um, Penn State, for those of you... If you don't know what's going on with Penn State football this week, why are you listening to this podcast? But uh, this week, Penn State's traveling to Champaign, Illinois. Uh, kickoff 9 p.m. from um, uh, Memorial Stadium. I, d- I didn't even know. That. There is nothing... There is no Big Ten program, folks, that I know less about than Illinois. So I apologize in advance for how just off the rails this is going to go. But yeah, Penn State going to Memorial Stadium, taking on Illinois, 9 p.m. kick on Friday night, not on Saturday night. Um, Nick, there's uh, it, it's very, very hard for me to have any level of concern about this game. No, the only... I mean, I think the only reasonable concern you could even possibly have would be based on the fact that this is on a Friday, but that's, We've seen that's not happen. really, yeah, that's not really yeah. a concern. That's, that's just manufacturing a concern out of nothing. We've, this, we've this seen not weirder a very things team. happen than teams. I, I mean, teams have got going on the road on a short week, a night game against a conference opponent, like, that's pretty frequently the recipe for an upset. Um, the thing is, when I look at just at these two football teams, anything can happen. Penn State can start slow. Illinois can gain confidence. Lovey Smith can game plan uh, his heart out, all this stuff. But when I just look, Nick, at these two teams as football teams, I really, really struggle to find a place where where I think Illinois has anything even close to a matchup advantage over Penn State, which isn't like, you know, I'm at the disparage anyone. It's just just the facts of the situation. Yeah, I don't think um, it exists. I know last year they were actually a pretty good special teams unit, and that's an area that Penn State, I mean, they haven't struggled. They just haven't been, they've given up two onside kick recoveries. That's really it. Um, but there's not, like you said, there's not an area that Illinois has an advantage against Penn State, which is not unexpected considering the ridiculous gap in talent between the two teams. Yeah, I look, I it's very fitting of this game that special teams are the place that we're looking at for this. But yeah, I mean Penn State. When you look at uh, S&P Plus, it's 82nd in special teams. Nick, the game we were going to play was, I was going to say, guess where Illinois is in S&P Plus in special teams. Ah, uh, um, hmm. Well, I don't, I don't, <laughs> that was, that was all based on last year. I don't actually know if they've been any good this year. I'm going to guess 69th. They're fourth. Oh, wow. Yeah, well, I, I mean, uh, our, I mean, their punter gets a lot of work. I was going to say, our stat father, Bill Conway, has said that uh, preseason predictions are going to apply throughout the season. Um, yeah. But looking at them, like, you know, their field goal kicker looks like he's pretty good. He's 7 for 8 on the year. Uh, their punter, like you said, he's gotten some practice. And uh, I believe that in terms of just average uh, distance, he's actually out kicking our, our beloved Blake Gillikin. But, like, it, it's just so hard 
So their field goal kicker almost has as many misses on the year as we have field goal attempts. Yes, because Penn State is one for two. So technically the same number of misses. So they're equal programs in my eyes. Uh, but yeah, I'm <laughs> just looking at every... We're t- taking special teams out of it. Because like, the thing with Penn State special teams is that, yeah, for how uh, for the struggles it's had. Like Illinois, if... KJ Hamler gets a seam, or DeAndre Tompkins gets a seam, he's gone. And Illinois just doesn't have the speed or the athletes or the big dudes who are able to prevent that kind of thing from happening. That's also the case for basically everywhere else on the field. I mean, when I look at this Illinois team, Nick, I just can't wrap my head around what they would be able to do in order to stop Penn State from really racking up points. I mean, Kent State put up 24 on them. South Florida put up 25 on them. Western Illinois put up 14 on them. That I, I just don't know how they keep this game from getting out of hand. They don't. I, I don't think they can. I, I'm not... I haven't decided yet if I'm going to predict that Penn State covers the 27-point spread, I believe it was, because just because on the road, Big Ten opener, they're probably going to try to rotate in as many guys as they can and keep guys fresh knowing that Ohio State is the week after. So I don't know if they'll necessarily cover that spread, but we'll get there. But yeah, like you said, there's, there's not really anything feasible that Illinois can do and that's not even a slight against Illinois at least it's not meant to be because they've actually been a little bit better than I thought they were going to be which is saying a lot considering they barely beat Kent State but I think they have some interesting players but they're just not it's not in this it's not the same conversation as what Penn State has and even on special teams where they are ranked so highly um, whether it's be mostly because of preseason rankings or what, even then, like I'm not sure there's a non Kavante Turpin like return man that I would take over uh, Tompkins or Hamler. So even there, like I I don't really think that's too much of an advantage. Yeah, so like you said, it's it's just not a comparison really. Yeah. So let's just kind of dive into Illinois to whatever extent that we can. I mean, when. On the offensive side of the ball, they have um, a pair of quarterbacks who, if there's one thing that's been obvious about them, Lovey Smith is not trying to put too much on their plate. They're both um, relatively accurate. Uh, one's completing 60. Uh, MJ Rivers is completing 64.5% of his uh, attempts. AJ Bush is at 60%. They're not really trying to stretch the field all that much. They're fine with just di- you know, dinking and dunking their way down there. But having said that, going up against South Florida and Western Illinois and Kent State is a little different from going up against Penn State. I, I, they have a couple of good running backs in Reggie Corbin and Mike Epstein. Uh, Ricky Smalling and Sam Mays have been able to do some stuff through the air, but like this is R.I.P. Mikey Dudek. R.I.P. Mikey Dudek, who uh, tore his. Uh, well, I think Every, tore everything. Yeah, tore his everything. Yeah, I miss him. He was fun. But, he was awesome. Like, 
they have two touchdown throws on the year, and they are to the same guy who has caught two balls all season. Like they, Nick, they don't seem like a threat. To that's do... that's Sean Clifford level of efficiency right there. <laughs> Technically, Daniel George levels of efficiency, but that's not. Oh, true, there. true, true. But Nick, as I'm looking, just everything about this Illinois offense, I, I mean, they. There's just not much that it seems like they could do. So what does Illinois have in the perfect scenario for them? What does Illinois have to do to be in this game heading into the fourth quarter to have a chance to win? Just from the off- an offensive perspective. They Just from an offensive perspective. Okay. Um, they probably have to get a lot of production out of the ground game, both from the running backs, but also from I'm I'm assuming MJ Rivers the second is starting this game. I think he started the last game. Full transparency, I have no idea, but I'm gonna go ahead and assume it's him. He did. Bo- I think last both, game he started. Yeah. Yeah. I think both both guys are mobile guys. AJ Bush has 142 rushing yards on the year. Rivers has only 24, but I'm assuming this ESPN stat line I'm looking a- at it also AJ includes Bush, sacks. AJ Bush in their first game of the year carried the ball 21 times and threw it 23 times. Yeah, that's silly. That's that's ridiculous. Um, so I think for them offensively, it, it just kind of has to be control the game on the ground, which I, I guess we can't say that Penn State is not susceptible to letting happen because they let it happen for two quarters against Pitt, but they've, I mean, they've kind of figured things out since then. So I don't know if they're really going to let a team like Illinois do that. So I, I, I think that's the only reasonable way that they are able to do this from an offensive perspective. Yeah. It, it seems like for them to have a chance, it has to be basically keeping the ball out of Penn state's hands, like long sustained drives in which Reggie Corbin and Mike Epstein are running the football They've had some success doing that uh, this season. Last week, Epstein, 19 carries, 113 yards, and a score against South Florida. Corbin pitched in with 12 carries for 98 yards. Um, But having said that, like, I'm just skeptical. I they have a both of their quarterbacks have double digit sack rates. Like I trust that Penn State's defensive front is going to be able to get into the backfield, create a little bit of havoc, and make some plays. Uh, whether it's taking down Corbin and Epstein in the backfield, or whether it's taking down Rivers, or should he play Bush, uh, dropping back. But on the other side of the ball, um, the yeah, Nick, I. Yeah, I, it's again. It's just really hard for me to find a uh, find a circumstance in which an offense, a defense that is ranked 89th in success rate and 78th in ISO PPP is going to be able to slow down a Penn State offense that, when it has gotten clicking over the last couple of games, it's been able to do whatever it wants on the ground and through the air. Yeah, and even when it hasn't been clicking, there it's not because they're turning the ball over too much. It's because they're punting. Yes, they've had some fumble issues, but I think they've also lost, I think, every fumble but one. And that's the kind of thing that corrects itself. So if they do fumble again, it's they're probably they're not going to lose every fumble that they create this year. Um, and then McSorley's only interception was off a tipped pass. 
So yeah. it's not like Penn State is going to give Illinois turnovers and based on what we've seen from the offense and from Illinois' defense, I don't think Illinois is going to create turnovers, but that's really their only chance. I mean, that's the underdog. That's the recipe. you got to create turnovers, and I just don't see them doing that. Yeah, so let's um, stop acting like we know anything about Illinois, and let's just talk about Penn State uh, in this game. Heading in, um, I have this down as a thing we're going to talk about. And I think everyone is going to know our answers from the second that the final word uh, comes out of my mouth. Scale of one to ten, Nick, where's your level of concern for this one? One. I'll go two, just because, you know, weird things happen on the road at night. But Yeah, yeah that's fair. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't argue against a two, but eh, personally, I'm at a one. So, let's, so when it comes to Penn State, heading into this game, what are the thing or things uh, that you want to see. Let's start Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, there's something that you're going to be writing on the site that I think people are, should have the chance to read by the time this goes live tomorrow uh, that you're going to argue. What is that thing, and why is this the game where we should see that thing, Nick? Pat Fryermuth should start at tight end. Why? Because, for a couple reasons, actually. Um, first and foremost, he's the true freshman of that tight end group. He's, um, well, also counting Zach Koontz, but he's not a, he's not a candidate to start right now. Fryermuth is one that they've already made it clear he's going to play this year. So, my, I mean, my kind of opinion on true freshman is, if you're going to burn the red shirt, do it for a reason. So, you need to at least give him the chance to show that he deserves to be the starter. Because he's played a good number of snaps at the last game against Kent state. I think he either had, he was either the first or second most snaps at the tight end position. Yeah. I'll double check that, but I think it was first. Yeah. Um, he didn't start the game. John Holland started the game. Um, at least for the first couple snaps, I think Frymouth came in during the first series. Um, but Holland did start the game. But if you're going to have a true freshman that you have all of this hype for, and you've built up the hype for, you need to give him a chance to show what he can do. And this is really the last quote-unquote cupcake game for at least a little while here where you can start him and knowing, okay, if it doesn't work out, we just switch someone else in. Secondly, it's not like Jonathan Holland. And to be, I'll, I'll clarify this in the post as well, and I'll clarify it here. It's not that I think Jonathan Holland has been disappointed. I've actually been really pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from Same. Jonathan Holland. His blocking, really, that's that's the key. His blocking has been miles ahead of where it was last year i know he got in for a couple snaps last year and he just couldn't even remotely come close to slowing down his guy and he looks pretty good in that regard and he's done a nice job getting open downfield i know there was one ball in the pit game where he kind of wriggled himself free on the sideline gave mcsorley an outlet there and that was a big play but he for all that he has four catches for 61 yards Fryermuth has three catches for 41 yards pat does also have a drop to his name um but it was a pass that even if he had caught it would have gone for a loss on the play anyway so it's not like holland has greatly outperformed him in terms of uh production but where i think he has and again holland's blocking has improved but Fryermuth's blocking has been excellent and I am actually in the process of going back and checking all of the McSorley touchdowns to be sure. But I know at least 
from my recollection, on at least four different Trace McSorley um, option keeper rushing touchdowns, Fryermuth has been the one to cut right across in front of the mesh point, make the key block on the end, and basically give McSorley a clear path to the end zone. And that alone, I mean, you can see the coaching staff trusts him. They've put him in that situation multiple times. They've put the true freshman in that situation multiple times because they trust him to make that block. And even there was one that he didn't make the block, but the guy, the rusher, to avoid him had gone so far upfield that Fryermuth really just had to extend an arm. And I mean, McSorley was already by him. He didn't have a chance at him. So I, I, I really can't see a reason why they wouldn't start him at this point. He's done enough as a receiver. They clearly trust him as a blocker. He's the youngest guy with the most potential who's already going to burn the red shirt. What do you have to lose? Yeah, I, unless you're worried about, you know, unless you're worried about him struggling against better competition. But sure. even then, the, the only way you can find that out is by getting him on the field and playing and seeing what he could do. And exactly. like you said, there. Uh, for just for the record, uh, 38 snaps against uh, Kent State. Holland had 32. Also, know they've been uh, toying with some two tight end sets. So uh, some of those numbers, so those numbers aren't you know accurate, but they also don't illustrate that there have been a number of situations where the both of them have uh, taken the field at the same time. There's also Danny Dalton who has been out with an injury. Lord knows how he would impact whatever tight end rotation they have. But having said that. Yeah, and it, I, I agree with Nick. It is important if they believe that Fryermuth is the guy or he's going to be, uh, you know, he's at a point where he is at least on par with what Penn State has right now. Keep getting him those reps. Keep letting him go. Holland, like Nick has said, has been a good option at tight end. But if you think that Fryermuth is also a good option and has a higher ceiling, there's no reason not to give him some reps. For me, Nick, the big thing that I want to see out of Penn State this game, I just want to see them get Trace McSorley's completion percentage up. That 51.7% is awfully, awfully misleading. He's dealt with some drops, dealt with some inclement weather, things of that nature. Yeah, he's been outstanding when it comes to uh, orchestrating the Penn State rushing attack. This is the game where I want to see them uh, really let him use his arm and really let him get going against an Illinois defense that uh, 89th in passing marginal efficiency, 96th in passing marginal explosiveness, 97th in passing completion rate. They're not exactly great at getting to quarterbacks. To me, there is no reason not to use this game, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts in Having Trace McSorley, we, we know what Miles Sanders is. We know what Trace is with his legs. We know what Mark Allen is. There's no reason, to, in my eyes, for them not to use this game to have Trace and all of his receivers get into some type of a groove, especially when next week's game, he's going to have to throw the football and he's going to have to make plays with his arms and receivers are going to have to go up and catch balls if they want to be an Ohio State team that, you know, for all intents and purposes, that game might be the season. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I I think Trace McSorley's receivers, I wouldn't say have let him down this year because they have made some good plays. They have gone and gotten some balls that were some tough catches, but they've dropped a lot of passes. And I know 
after two games, I believe the number was nine, nine dropped passes, and they dropped at least three more. I have not finished my rewatch of the Kent State game yet, um, but I believe they dropped at least three more passes in that one. So, I mean, Trace's numbers would look (laughs) just crazily different if they had caught Uh even half of those Uh passes. And I'm not judging drops harshly. I'm judging drops as passes that hit them in both hands and were not contested. Like you could even argue that I'm I've been too lenient on my definition of a drop. So in that regard, they his numbers could definitely be better. And this I agree would be a really good chance just to kind of like what they did with Tompkins last week. They uh-huh. they fed him early, they gave him that chance on that touchdown ball. Not that they were necessarily planning for him to be wide open. Obviously you hope everyone's open on a passing play, but um, you could. They made an effort to get him the ball. He finished with 101 yards. So clearly they, clearly McSorley zeroed in on him a few times. It'd be nice to see them. Maybe I'm, I'm, I, I'm kind of torn because yes, I want I want McSorley to spread the ball around as much as possible and just try to have as many weapons kind of firing on all cylinders as they can going into Ohio State. But I'd also really like to see a game where Juwan Johnson just yep. eats. Yep. And I want to see him get through a game without a drop. Because the one criticism of him as a recruit, if you remember way back then, was that, yeah, he's this huge kid. He's this fast kid. He's talented. But he doesn't have the most consistent hands. And that, unfortunately, has kind of shown itself early in this season. So it'd be really great to see him come away with like a, I don't know, 10 or 11 catch game for in the neighborhood of 120 yards, something like that. I, I it's it. I, I just I would really like to see a game where he just takes over and dominates. Uh, well, I wouldn't mind seeing that next week. But yeah, if we get a big game out of him against Illinois, that'd be a that'd be nice. Did I, yeah. did I say next week? No, no, you said this week. I want oh, yeah. to see. I want to see him go for ten catches and 120 yards against Ohio State. But yeah, how uh, about both? Yeah, that, yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. But yeah, get get Juwan Johnson in a groove. Get Miles Sanders involved in the passing game. Get get the tight ends going. I I think I would imagine they feel pretty confident about where KJ Hamler is. Brandon Polk has looked pretty good, and DeAndre Tompkins looks like he's turning a bit of a corner. So just get those other guys going. Like get to a point where. Once Ohio State comes around, you don't have to worry about someone being in their own head, you know? And I think that's something that could pay dividends. Uh, Nick, let's move over to the other side of the ball really quickly. Uh, what, what, if anything, are there any big things that you want to see uh, out of the defense? Or is it just a matter of, listen, go out there, take care of your business, and, uh, you know, nobody gets hurt? Mainly, mainly that. Um, but also start Micah Parsons, please. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get Micah Parsons and Ellis Brooks and Jesse Lukita, a bunch of rats. Let, let those kids play. They're good. What get, you no know what? Go beyond that. Let Lamont Wade get a bunch of time. Put Donovan Johnson on their number one receiver. Get, I don't know. Put Daniel Joseph in as your starting defensive end. Like use this as a game to like, hopefully it's over by halftime. Lots if, of John Reed, too, Lots please. of John Reed. If, get, let John Reed play through whatever he's going through, if he's able to, of course. But yeah, use this as a game to like get as much run for the guys a little bit farther down the depth chart that we might not have seen. Like I think that that is something that can pay dividends, 
if it's a matter if you don't want to put stuff on tape, like if, you know, say, uh, to go to the other side of the ball, they don't use Tommy Stevens at all this week, I'd be perfectly fine with that. But, yeah, just get, get guys run. Let's, let's just have a real good time. Nobody get hurt. Everyone have fun. Uh, and hopefully uh, win this game like 70-3. to three. Uh, I, I'm not going to go quite that optimistic, but Nick... Uh, Las Vegas has the spread as Penn State by 28, S&P Plus, Penn State by 30.6. Where are you at in this one? I'm thinking somewhere like Penn State. I don't, I think they'll get to at least 45 points. I don't think this is going to be their lowest scoring output of the season. So I'm going to say Penn State 45, Illinois... 13. So I guess I do have them covering that spread. I'm going 48 to 10. Uh, I would like to see Jake Pinnegar get a few kicks up and hopefully get them through. But, you know, I, this is something that we mentioned on the last edition of the pod. Um, the worst team in power five by S and P plus is Rutgers. And the second worst team in power five is Illinois. So I really have a hard time seeing a scenario where Penn state has a lot of trouble Having said that, put them away early. Get them backups in. Uh, Sean Clifford, uh, this is my personal challenge to you, pal. Um, four for four for 151 yards and two touchdowns. Not going to cut it. I need to see more. I need to see touchdowns on every play and not every other play. And if you want to be the future starting quarterback at Penn State, buddy, you got to be able to do that. The, every other play throwing for a touchdown is just unacceptable. So we'll, uh, We know you're listening, Sean. We, yes, we know you're a big fan of our podcast, Sean Clifford. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a very ham-fisted way to end that uh, part of the podcast. So, Nick, I want to uh, move on to talk to you about something that Matt and I talked about uh, last week, which is we're at the point of the season, the non-conference is over, while Illinois isn't exactly a... Uh, isn't exactly a powerhouse, still a Big Ten game. So we are through one-third of the season, and we're looking at what we know about this Penn State team and where its place is in a Big Ten that even though it's quote-unquote down, the champion is still almost certainly making it into the playoff unless we get a really, really fluky thing happening at the end of the season. So right now, where do you think Penn State is in the Big Ten. Are they the conference's best team? Are they a half step behind Ohio State? Is there anyone between them and the Buckeyes? Where do you land? It's a little it's a little difficult for me to differentiate too much between Ohio State and Penn State. I know if obviously if we're asking like a national analyst or um, an Ohio State fan, you'd say it's Ohio State and then everyone else. I think it's more like a Ohio State 1A, Penn State 1B type thing. I don't think they're quite on the same level. I could be wrong. I just think Ohio State, they're just a little more... I mean, they, they have more talent. That That's a fact. They have more recruited talent. They have more blue chip talent, yada, yada, yada. I am really curious to see what they look like coming into beaver stadium in two weeks i'm curious to see what Dwayne haskins looks like in that situation i think the tcu game there was a pretty good 
a pretty good preview of what they look like. The only difference being what they'll face with Penn State is they'll be up against a much better quarterback in Trace McSorley. And I shouldn't say much better because Sean uh, Robinson was pretty pretty great for TCU, but just didn't quite have that last that last oomph in him, which I think McSorley does have. So I think it's, I mean, yeah, we'll find out who's the better of those two teams in a couple weeks. But I think I think Penn State and and Ohio State are a small step, well, a step above the rest of the teams. I think Michigan is probably that clear-cut third best team. I think they're I think they're a little bit better than Wisconsin just because there wasn't really anything fluky about Wisconsin's loss to BYU. Not a one. They played their game and Wisconsin played Ohio played Wisconsin's game better than Wisconsin did. They the only fluky thing about it was the trick play touchdown. So I I I mean, this Wisconsin team lost a good amount of players on defense. It's Alex Hornerbrook still. I've never been impressed with Alex Hornerbrook, honestly. I know some people, on the, even our site, have been. I was I, very, I've never been enamored. I was very freshman. impressed with him when he was a true freshman, but then he just never got any better. So yeah, he's he's kind of he's plateaued. He had just hasn't really changed. Um, so I put them at, as the fourth spot. The fifth spot, I guess, is Michigan State. I don't know. Indiana might be better than them, though. Iowa might be better than them. Woo! I don't know. I think it's kind of a big jumble after that. There's kind of, after those top four teams, there's like there's two, maybe three big jumbles if you want to put Rutgers and Illinois and probably Purdue so far this year. Although Purdue has lost three games by a total of like eight points, so... It's it's hard to be too. It's hard to rank them as down as Rutgers, who just got smashed by Kansas. <laughs> so it's God, that was bad. It's still funny. That was so bad. So it's it's kind of a mess in the middle there. It's a lot of teams that are really really comparable to each other and don't really they're you can't really differentiate between them. I think I I mean Iowa plays Wisconsin this week, so they have a good chance to show that they belong in that upper group more than that middle group but that's kind of where it is for me it's ohio state penn state michigan wisconsin and then so as looking at what we know about penn state and what we know about the rest of the big 10 what needs to happen for penn state to uh to win the big 10 and do you think this team is a national championship contender right now. Why or why not? To win the Big Ten, I mean, they have to beat Ohio State next weekend. And, I mean, realistically, they might... Well, if they beat Ohio State this weekend, and, and they could, they would be able to afford one loss beyond that, assuming that the team they'd be tied with the end with is Ohio State, because they'd have the head-to-head... But, I mean, ideally, of course, you'd like to see them go undefeated and win out. But if you don't beat Ohio State next weekend, then the path to that Big Ten championship game becomes really murky really quickly because then you need Ohio State to lose twice. And that, I don't know, it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, if they can walk into Beaver Stadium and they can beat Penn State, I have a very, very hard time saying they're going to lose basically anywhere on their schedule. Yeah, I mean, losing to Michigan at the end of the year is not the most inconceivable thing just because by then, who knows, maybe Jim Harbaugh has Shea Patterson going just the way he wants him. Maybe their offense is 
finally starting to really click against good competition. But that offensive line is still garbage, and Nick Bosa would completely destroy it. So while I wouldn't be terribly surprised to see Michigan beat them, it, I mean, they're certainly, they certainly wouldn't lose twice, I guess is the kind of the thesis of what I'm saying there. I agree. Uh, but as far as what you're saying about a playoff contender right now, do I think Penn State could win a national title? No. I don't think they could beat Alabama uh, or Georgia or probably not even Clemson as they're currently constructed. In fairness, I don't think anyone could beat Alabama right now because yeah. I, I believe it was on podcast and play nobody where they said that Alabama just kind of looks bored right now, mm-hmm. which they said that amid Alabama uh, this week. They played Ole Miss and won that game 62-7, to so typical bored football team stuff. Yeah, you know, just casual football, not nothing... Nothing terrifying or death-defying at all. Yeah, but, I, I think one thing that we do have to stress, like us saying that Penn State, neither of us think Penn State is a national title contender, has nothing to do with where Penn State is as a program or the players it has here. It's just, you. you pro- I think you agree with me. Like There is just a tier of three or four elite teams, and then there is everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And as things are right now, I if Penn State didn't have to face Alabama in that first round of the playoff, eh, who knows? Maybe they could sneak by. Maybe they could sneak by Clemson, or maybe they could sneak by Georgia. Probably not right now. Um, but I do, I do also love, um, as our friend Pat Corbler, Pat Corbler said, if you put Trace in a national championship game, he's not losing, which I don't completely <laughs> disagree with. But um, Pat, but come if, to the pod. Yeah. You're, you're more than welcome, bud. Um, but if you give it, I mean, if you project this team out to where we think they could be by the time the playoff rolls around, I think they very well could have a shot at winning it. Because if we're assuming continued growth from guys like Micah Parsons and Pat Fryermuth and this offensive line that um, does have two new full-time starters in Michael Mennett and Will Fries, there is still a lot of growth to be had, and we're seeing growth every single week. And if they continue to progress the way that they are, then they could get to that level. It's possible. Yeah, I, I it's weird because it just, for all that we've said about how we think Trace makes this team a contender, I do believe that next year's team is going to be better than this year's team when you just look at what every team, what Penn State is going to be losing and who they're replacing. The I think like four or five starters on total on both sides of the ball they'd be losing. But ha- having said that, like there, I really, really want to see Trace McSorley go up against Alabama or against Georgia or against Clemson or something like that because. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We've seen Trace McSorley play against Georgia. Well, how dare you forget the le- where the legend began? Well, I kind of blocked most of the 2015 season, like, just out. Like, if and it that was that it, was John Donovan, Trace McSorley. No, no, no. That was that was Ricky Ronnie. Was oh, no, that was that Ricky game, Ronnie. Yeah. That was that was John Donovan inspired Ricky yes. Ronnie, yes, Trace McSorley. That, that was pre Joe Moorhead, which, by the way, uh, as we're talking about this elite tier of teams by S&P plus percentile, uh, there are, you know, Alabama is uh, insane. Ohio State is insane. 
the gap between uh, the number five team and the number three team is smaller than the gap between the number five team and the number six team. Uh, that number five team would be our beloved Mississippi State Bulldogs. So, Klanga. Klanga. Get, listen, Coach Tuddies, come to the podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really want to see Penn State go up against one of those elite programs in the planet. And listen, maybe they lose, but like, who cares? Like, if they are, like I said last week, if they can get by Ohio State next week, I think this is a team that has legitimate playoff aspirations and a team that legitimately could go undefeated. So I think... If they get by Ohio State, they have as clear a path of anybody not named Alabama to the playoff, well, for sure. Well, well, they have a clear path in that, like, it's the Wolves gotten by their toughest test, but, like, Michigan State's going to be tough. Going to Indiana is going to be tough. Iowa should be pretty easy. Uh, yeah, but you give, but if you win that Ohio State game, you're giving yourself yeah. leeway yeah. with your losses. You can still lose a game and be fine. No, for sure. And that, like, it, it's what makes it interesting. Like, I don't want to say, like, the path is clear just because, like, there's so many opportunities to slip up, but... If you could beat Ohio State, you could beat anybody in the country, as far as I'm concerned. Even if, uh, you know, I think Urban Meyer might. We'll, we'll focus on that next week, so we won't get too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah, I mean, we're we're living in uh, in a world where Penn State might be a playoff contender. That's uh, that's pretty cool. Not just that it's happening this year, but that's slowly but surely becoming the norm at Happy Valley. So. Welcome to week four. Uh, welcome to week four, where Penn State is going to whoop up on the Illinois Fighting Illini. And Nick, I think this is as good of a time as any for us to go through this week's Big Ten slate. Sure. Let's do this. Did you know that yes. Nebraska is back? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's not back. Nebraska's, Nebraska's not good yet. Uh, I think Nebraska's going to be very good eventually, but right now they're not, and they have to play Michigan uh, in Ann Arbor, yeah, I think Michigan's probably going to use this as a as an opportunity to make something of a statement. Yeah, I really wish that Adrian Martinez was healthy because this could is have he? been a fun game. I don't think he is. Oh, give me. And a if second. he if he is, he's surely not a hundred percent, and they should not play him. It's not worth it. No, nah, he was a full participant on Wednesday. <sighs> but yeah, well, I, yeah. well, I will I will caveat this with if. He is healthy. I could very well see Nebraska somehow either making this close or potentially even pulling off the upset. But Michigan's probably going to win this game by like seventeen points. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you don't want to be a true freshman quarterback coming off of an injury, having to go up against that Michigan defense in Ann Arbor. So, uh, listen, young man, I'm rooting for you. Nick's rooting for you, but we're a little bit pessimistic. Um, speaking. Of pessimistic, Nick, you've been a little more pessimistic on Purdue than most, and this week they have a Boston College team that suddenly figured out how to play offense, and oh my god, they might be horrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, I before the year when I did my full Big Ten predictions, I think I pegged Purdue for three and nine. I think I had them winning one of these first three games that they lost all three of. So I, I guess technically my predictions are not currently accurate with them, but. I, I'm I'm both down on them and okay with them at the same time because like I mentioned they've lost their three games by I think single digit points altogether so it's not like they're far away but they lost they lost like their best defensive players and 
there's only I mean even Jeff Brom has a limit of how much you can how many games you can win by just outscoring your opponent. Um yeah, I I I I just I'm not I I'm not a huge fan of what I've seen from Purdue so far this year. It's weird because like they play such like an aggressive high risk style on really both sides of the ball. Offense they're going to they're trying to like you know, sling it all over the park and run all over you and go super fast and go for big plays and all that stuff. On defense, they're always going for turnovers. They're always going for big hits. They're always trying to create havoc that the margins are so small that any mistake that you make could play a major role in how the game turns out. And four point loss to Northwestern, one point loss to Eastern Michigan, three point loss to Missouri you're kind of seeing how that manifests itself. I think they lose to Boston College. They might lose the following week to Nebraska. And then once they, you know, they have a bye, then go to Illinois, Ohio State at Sparty, Iowa. That's like, this could get real ugly real quick. And a lot of the shine that was on Jeff Brom heading into the season, I would not be surprised if we suddenly see it uh, start to evaporate a little bit. I'm not going to say that he's going to be on a hot seat or anything like that. Just that it could get a little bit, uh, Purdue could get back to treading water. Uh, and hammer and rails, guys, uh, don't come on the podcast. I don't like you. Uh, yeah, we, we don't want, we don't want you. Yes, correct. At we, all. We're, our people will not call your people sirs. I'm saying sirs because I assume everyone, whatever. Uh, next up, this is a game that's going to be an absolute blast. Buffalo at Rutgers. I don't think people understand. <laughs> Buffalo is like legitimately pretty good. Uh, they're 64th in S&P Plus. Uh, I've become somewhat familiar with them through my living in upstate New York. Uh, Tyree Jackson, their quarterback, is uh, six foot seven, can throw legitimately pretty accurately. Pretty talented dude. Anthony Johnson is going to be a first-round NFL draft pick. And I cannot remember for the life of me the name of their defensive lineman, but they have a defensive lineman who he's not like on the level of Khalil Mack, but he's still a very, very, very good football player. Uh, it, uh, it's Khalil Hodge. Very, very good football player. Buffalo could legitimately have three guys go in the first two days of the NFL draft. This is all a very long way of saying they're going to go into High Point Solution. Oh, highpoint.com stadium. They renamed it. And they're just going to beat the unholy hell out of Rutgers, Nick. This Rutgers team is not good. I don't know if I would go so far as beat the unholy hell out of them, but I I agree. Buff, I think Buffalo Rutgers allowed should 55 win this points game. to Kansas last week. Yeah, but Kansas has got all that all that uh I'll be I won't no, be crass. The they, Kansas has got all that BDE right now. They're they're you know they're riding high. I I think Edens Rutgers finally gets to be back at home. I think Buffalo wins, but I think they win by like ten. So in in here, give me some. I'm looking. S and P Plus has. <laughs> oh God! All right, let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Um, one eighteen. Well, Rutgers is 114 in S&P Plus. I was going to say what the projected margin that S&P Plus has of this one. Remember, oh, it's Buffalo on the road at Rutgers. Um, Buffalo winning by 
14.2. They're too, oh, that's what does Las Vegas have? Uh, I'm sorry that we're spending so much time on this, but I am <laughs> like, I am just absolutely. I don't, I don't think there right was now. a spread the last time I checked. All right, give me a sec. Uh, Buffalo, Buffalo's a three and a half. They opened at three and a half. It's moved to five and a half. Um, <laughs> hammer, hammer Buffalo, uh, folks. This is one of those rare times that I will give gambling advice, put a whole hell of a lot of money on Buffalo because, <sighs> yeah, I'm actually kind of upset because Buffalo, uh, if they don't have a random home Friday matching game or else I'd absolutely go to that because, <laughs> oh, God, they're going to be, it's going to be so funny. Rutgers message boards are going to be on fire this week. I cannot wait. Uh, <laughs> next up, Minnesota at Maryland. Um, Maryland coming off of a very, very, very weird loss to Temple where they lost 35-14. to 14. Uh, Minnesota, on the other hand, 3-0, and haven't really played anyone. This has the potential, I think, to be a pretty interesting football game. Uh, the thing that's looming over this is that I believe on Friday we're going to get the full report into um, Maryland's investigation into the circumstances surrounding the death of Jordan McNair. I think Maryland's going to come out uh, on the heels of learning that DJ Durkin is probably no longer the coach. They're going to play for each other. They're going to play for Matt Canada. I think they're going to come out. I think they're Kasim Hill, Tyrell Pigrome are going to run all over. Uh, Minnesota, this is in College Park. I have them winning this one, Nick. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be a Ty Johnson game. I could see him busting off like two 60-plus yard touchdown runs. The other thing working in Maryland's favor is that I feel like I haven't been able to confidently pick a Minnesota game since like 2011. I, I feel like I never have any real sense of how good or bad Minnesota is. So when in doubt, pick against them. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Uh, speaking of the games that I think we can pick with some amount of certainty, uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes host Tulane. Uh, S&P Plus has Ohio State by uh, 38 points. 38, 37.7. I'll round that up to 38 um, Las Vegas has them as a open to the 34 and a half point favorite. It's now a 37 point favorite. Um, I guess the big thing I'm watching is whether or not Nick Bose is able to play. But like, if I watch a second of this football game, something is going to be wrong. Yeah, I, I had I had my score prediction for this game saved in a text message on my phone, but now it's not there anymore. So I, I don't really know what happened. So I'll just say Ohio State wins. Yeah, easy enough. Uh, I think a game that is probably infinitely more interesting, 7.30 kick, Michigan State has to travel to Indiana. And Indiana has been real, real good this year. They are 23rd in S&P+. Their offense is 52nd. Defense is 16th. Uh, I don't know what the secret sauce has been for Indiana. Their defense has played pretty well so far this season. Their offense has managed to uh, outperform them in some games when it comes to just uh, percentile performance. Uh, Haven't played a team the caliber of Michigan State, but I also think Michigan State might be a little overrated. S&P Plus gives them 
has Indiana winning a one point by one point three, so real close. Uh, Nick, is Peyton Ramsey in this defense going to be able to go out and get the job done? Yeah, I'm going to say Indiana wins this game. I I'll also say that this is, <laughs> Indiana football fans are very tortured people, and yes. I think I think my favorite example of that was two years ago when they beat Michigan State when Michigan State was ranked, and everyone was like, oh my god, Indiana finally did it. They finally followed through and finished one of their upsets, and then Michigan State went on to win, what, four games that year? So That was the end of 3-9. 3-9, that's what it was. Yeah, so that, that I think looking back on that always makes me laugh a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Indiana looks like they're legitimately a pretty good team. They're not blowing away teams that are great or anything but they're winning the games that they have on their schedule and i think michigan state is trash honestly so i'm gonna pick indiana here i won't go trash but yeah i i think peyton ramsey's going to be very smart with the ball not try and do too terribly much with it pick his spots getting the ball uh to luke timian and ty freifogel and nick westbrook uh, Stevie Scott has been done a nice job running the ball this Ty season. Fry Fogel. Oh, it's a great name. Wow. Great name. Also, they uh, Peyton Hendershot. He's a former future Penn Stater. Now he was a they they offered him. I think he may have visited towards the very okay. end of the cycle, and it was like, uh, hey, if we have space at the last second, we that's can right. take you. And then they didn't have space. Okay, that's right. And uh, kind of hanging over everything is that they have a really, really talented freshman quarterback in Michael Penix who might be able to uh, step in and do do some fun stuff against this uh, Spartan defense. Again, I think Indiana is going to end up winning this game. Vegas has them. Uh, ooh, Vegas has them as a four and a half point dog. That's huh. ooh four and a half point home dog. LJ Scott is apparently questionable. Also not very good. Also not very good. He's like the Melvin uh, Gordon, like the NF he he is what Melvin Gordon is now with the Chargers, but without the touchdowns. Ooh. He's he's a guy that just gets tons of volume, so his numbers look fine, but Melvin Gordon's yards per carry last year was like three point nine. Yeah. Oof. God almighty, that, that might be a place for you to put some money down, folks. Uh, just sliding that one out there. Final game uh, of the weekend, Wisconsin going to Iowa. This is going to be stylistically a very similar football game. Uh, it's going to be Kinnick at night in a very hostile environment. And since it's not Ohio State going there, I expect Iowa to lose this game in heartbreaking fashion and then for a bunch of jokes to be told on the internet. Uh, Nick, what do you think? Yeah, if Wisconsin had not lost this week, this would have been ripe for a Ohio, uh, no, Iowa Kinnick, upset. Kinnick magic. Yeah, yeah some, a great Kinnick magic pick. But I think if the if the favorite loses the week before, you 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 don't get that same magic. So I agree. I think it's going to be something like Wisconsin, like I don't know, twenty, Iowa fourteen. Both these, de- I mean, Iowa's defense looks pretty awesome. So it'll be fun seeing them go against uh, Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, Iowa number one in the nation in defensive S&P Plus. Uh, they're 110th on offense, so they certainly have 
Uh, their concerns to figure out uh, Wisconsin, meanwhile, 21st offensively, 27th defensively. This is going to be a really ugly football game. I would, I, I'm going to recommend you watch Michigan State, Indiana instead and just kind of wait for the final couple of minutes to put on Wisconsin, Iowa, because I think that game is going to be closed the entire time. And it's not necessarily going to be because, uh, you know, it's just such an interesting chess match. I just think both offenses have some holes and both defenses are very, very solid. So I think it was, I think it was on podcast ain't play. Nobody. They talked I think it was Godfrey who said he wants Ole Miss to get a, to push the bull band to next year to get an Ole Miss versus Iowa bowl game. Cause that would be amazing. That would be gross. I don't know how that would go, but that, what is Ole Miss in a... It might be 0-0. Zero, zero. Ole Miss is first in offensive S&P Plus, despite uh, what happened last week. So, yeah, that would be a that would be a blast. That would be literally the exact opposite of styles of, uh, you know, stylistically the exact opposite football game. Um, yeah, it looks like that's it for the Big Ten slate. I can't think of any other fun college football... Oh, uh, what do you think is going to happen when uh, Alabama plays A&M? I think that all the fans who were cheering Jimbo's name going off the field when they barely lost to Clemson are going to be booing him when Uh, Alabama beats mm. him by 38. Oh, I think that might be conservative, my friend. (laughs) Ooh, Jimbo got the full bag, so he's going to have a big (laughs) smile on his face no matter what happens, and I cannot wait. So It's true. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's it. Can you think of anything uh, anything else you want to talk about, or are we good to go? Nope, I think we're good. All right. Uh, you know the spiel by now. Make sure you're subscribing to all of our various podcast platforms. Follow us on social media. Buy some shirts. Keep reading and supporting the site. We're on pace to have our best month since we've launched. So thank you to everyone who has read us over this past month. Uh, here's to hoping we're able to break whatever traffic record we have this month, and hopefully we can break it. Uh, next month again. So thanks for reading the site. Thanks for supporting the site. And thanks for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone.